If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I'm excited for you to meet Trina Spear, the co-founder and CEO of FIGS the direct-to-consumer healthcare apparel brand, creating technically advanced products for the modern healthcare professional. Figs has revolutionized the large and fragmented healthcare apparel industry. Under Trina's leadership, Figs has created premium products for healthcare professionals, introduced a convenient and seamless D2C online platform, and built a community around the profession. Figs went public in May of 2021 at a valuation of over $5 billion, and it was the first company led by two female co-founders to ever be taken public. Figs has been named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies, AdAge's hottest brands, and Inc.'s best-led companies. Before Figs, Trina was an associate at the Blackstone Group in the firm's hedge fund group. She also spent four years with Citigroup Investment Banking in private equity divisions. Trina is a Henry Crown Fellow and received her BA in economics from Tuscan University and her MBA from Harvard Business School. And with that, let's welcome Trina. Let's just start with basics. First things first, what's figs in your own words? And take us back to that early co-founding story. Sure. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me, Alexa. Huge fan of yours. Figs is a lifestyle brand that really is here to support and help and improve the lives of healthcare professionals. Our entire goal is to celebrate, empower, and serve those who serve others. And so every day I wake up, I think about how we can serve this community of the best people in the world that are literally saving lives and helping patients and curing diseases. And our whole purpose for existence is to serve them and, and make sure that they have a great experience as they go out to do their work. I want to go back to that like aha moment that drove you to move from New York to LA and go all in on the idea. Take us back to that window of time. The real idea started uh, with my co-founder, Heather Hassan who was sitting with a friend of hers, who's a nurse practitioner at Cedars-Sinai, and she was looking at her friend's scrubs, and she literally asked the question, uh, you know, what are you wearing? (laughs) And they were baggy and boxy and ill-fitting, and the size was on the back of the neck, and uh, her friend said, you know, this is what we wear. These are our scrubs. And Heather couldn't believe it, and she said, I'm the best shopper in the world. I'll find you something better. Um, And she sought out to find her friend Better Scrubs. And she went to these stores that are mainly in strip malls. There are about 4,000 of them across the country. She walked into one of these stores in uh, West LA and there was racks of scrubs. There was a rack of black and a rack of navy. And they were selling bedpans and knee braces in the same place that you're buying, you know, as a healthcare professional, you're buying your scrubs. And she thought that was just a ridiculous uh, experience. And so you know, what she saw at the time was not only was the product awful, right, but the experience was just incredibly subpar. She literally said to her friend, give me your scrubs. I'm going to essentially 
focus on the fit and tailor them so you have a well-fitted set of scrubs to go into your work. Her friend said, great. You know, she went back to the Cedars. Everyone said, where'd you get those scrubs? She said, my my friend Heather made them for me. They started calling Heather's cell phone and saying, hey, can you fix my scrubs? And that's how it all started. But the aha moment was really Heather thinking to herself, and this really resonated with me, you know, why were there these multi-billion dollar companies so focused on the athlete to help you score more goals, help you run around a track. You got Nike and Lululemon and Under Armour to help you, you know, perform in a yoga class. What about the people saving lives? What companies, what brands were there for them? And there really weren't any. When you started Figs, you guys were selling scrubs quite literally out of the car. What were those like early user reactions past the first friend or two? What did it look like that made you be like, there's something really big here? So I was flying out to LA. I was living in New York. I was working at Blackstone in a fancy finance job and uh, was flying out to LA, joining Heather in, you know, literally selling scrubs out of her car on weekends. And it was crazy. I mean, literally we were collecting cash on a sidewalk and getting feedback and reactions from doctors and nurses and healthcare workers that were coming in and out of their shifts. So the shift change is normally at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. So we would park right outside the emergency room uh, we had a jug of hot cocoa, a jug of coffee, and literally handing people free cups of coffee and getting feedback on what they liked and what they didn't like about their scrubs, and then showing them our product and literally selling it to them on the sidewalk. And it was an amazing experience. I think it was definitely tough, and sometimes you glorify the early days, uh, but you know, getting that feedback, understanding what they really need, what they really want, and we still do this, right? Uh, how many pockets you need? Where are you putting your surgical scissors? Where are you putting your keys and your money and your alcohol swabs? Understanding the pain point so we could solve it uh, was really the part of that experience of um, interacting with them right outside the hospital and selling scrubs to them out of the car. Early on, you guys had a production snag of swapping the inseams of your pants that ended up being a really big financial hit. Tell us about that interesting experience where something totally non-planned ended up actually being really exciting. We had swapped the women's inseam and the men's inseam. So on the women's pant, uh, it was really long. And on the men, it was super short. And so you can imagine all the people writing in saying, um, my pants are really tight in this one area. And we were like, what is happening? And we realized that the inseams were swapped with our patterns and with our production. And so it was actually a blessing looking back because it really forced us to ensure that our quality control, our quality assurance uh, was in order. Um, and it's one of the reasons why now we are so focused on quality. We're so focused on ensuring that, you know, from our fibers, our fabric, our cut and sew, the way in which we make our product, every little detail you have to be on top of. And you really have to partner deeply uh, with, you, with your manufacturing partners to ensure things like that don't happen because it was really expensive. And it was not a great experience, right, for the people that we were looking to serve. And so definitely glad it happened earlier on in our journey. When did you know that this was going to be a really big business? Your word of mouth was pretty wild. There was tremendous word of mouth because of the product market fit. When were you like, oh, wow, this is going to be a really big business? Like, when did you finally know that? We knew it pretty early on. I think even the reaction we were receiving outside of Heather's car, right? I hadn't left Blackstone yet when we were, you know, receiving that feedback, right? And so 
Um, it's one of the reasons I left. And I really believed in Heather, you know, as a partner. And this was her vision and this was her idea. And I really saw that this could be something really big because healthcare professionals are the best people in the world. You know it. They're in your family uh, and they are working long hours. They're on their feet caring for patients. Like this is work that um, is often not really talked about or celebrated. People see them for their profession. They don't see them as the full human beings that they are. And, you know, maybe not right away did we know that was going to be a part of how we were going to engage this community. But early on, I knew that there was such a hole on the product side and there was such an issue with the distribution model. I mean, it's one of the reasons I left. This is why I left. I knew this was going to be big. Did I know we were going to go public as the first <laughs> female co-founders and co-CEOs? No. And, you know, really proud of that. And, and I hope we inspire young women to follow in our footsteps. But I do think this was just needed. Healthcare professionals deserve more. They deserve better. And there has and there still has to be a brand that stands alongside them. How did you further support the word of mouth? How did you, once you knew like, okay, something's working, give everyone else listening any tips you have for like really taking your grassroots approach to customer loyalty and like really lighting it on fire in a way that it ignites. So I think there was a benefit early on just that our community of healthcare professionals are in these densely packed environments, right? Healthcare institutions, everyone's together. They're in the lobby getting their Starbucks, right? They're on their way, crossing paths on their way to their next patient. They're in the break room. Oftentimes they're talking about, you know, the show they watched last night or the product that Figs just launched uh, uh, or the, our latest color, our latest style. And so that be kind of became this kind of viral thing where we have this diehard community that has really become obsessed with our products with our launches. On the word of mouth piece, it naturally happened because of the institution piece. And then our marketing, we were, I think we're the first company that really put our healthcare professionals in our campaigns. This company was never about me and Heather. It was never about our team, although we have an incredible team. It was always about our healthcare professionals. And so we call them awesome humans. We fly them to LA. They are in our shoots. We put them on billboards in Times Square so that the world is not only looking up to celebrities and athletes, they're looking up to healthcare workers as these are the people that you should be inspired to want to be one day, right? As little kids or little girls or little boys. And so that was the goal there. All of our marketing and advertising, it's how do we showcase them beyond their profession, right? How do we showcase them as human beings and really celebrate everything that they do? I want to quickly like double tap on the COVID moment, right? I mean, you went public during COVID when like all eyes were literally on the medical community. What was that like for you guys? Give us a sense of like maybe the greatest triumph and also the biggest challenge that you dealt through the wild pandemic that we just lived through. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember that moment, right? It was like March 12th or something around there where we started getting the calls where our healthcare professionals, you know, were taking their masks and washing them in hot water and putting them in ovens and they didn't have proper equipment and they were facing this pandemic and literally were on the front lines uh, leading society globally through this thing that no one really know, knew what it was at the time. And we didn't know what it was. And so I think even to your earlier question around this community, we have always been in listening mode. They've driven the brand just as much as we've 
supported them. They are driving the brand. And I think we even went into more of a listening mode of what do you need? What is happening? How can we serve you? How can we support you? And so what they needed was PPE. And so we shifted our entire supply chain. We made hazmat suits. We made isolation gowns. We made masks with the rest of the world. We moved really quickly and it took the entire company to make that pivot, to make that shift so we could get them as much protective equipment as possible. It was hard. And hearing the stories, right, of after over time, the thousandth body bag or however many people that have come through that OR, how many patients they treated through this pandemic, you know, we're kind of on the other side of it, but the amount of PTSD that our community is now facing, they were literally at war. And we were right there with them. And it's been a journey and something that, you know, I'll never forget the past few years, not just as a person living in through it with everybody else, but literally alongside this community of people that the world kind of stopped clapping, right? At 7 p.m., everyone was cheering for healthcare workers and that stopped happening. Our goal as a company, our goal as a brand is to ensure that for the rest of time that we're there supporting and cheering them on. 24-7, 365 days a year. As somebody who, again, you obviously you're in a very specific swim lane, but as you kind of step back and think about your bigger category, how do you think it's evolving over the next five to 10 years? You know, I think people put us in the the D2C bucket and we are a direct-to-consumer brand. And I think the best brands do engage their community directly. Um, And we are very passionate about owning the experience end-to-end, you know, making all of our own products, and delivering them to our community and doing that in a way where we're able to engage and get their feedback and continuously improve and get better. And so being a D2C company, I think, is the future generally. But I think people get a little bit fixated on the channel. It's online or it's in stores or it's, are you omni-channel or are you not? I think the real thing that has been true for the last hundred years and will be true over the next hundred years is you make a great product. You make a product that people love and they come back to you over and over again because they love the product and they love being associated with your brand. And that was true of Nike 50 years ago. Maybe it's 50, I think around that. And it's true for brands like Lululemon. It's true for brands like Apple. And it's true for us. And I think um, the channel is a bit irrelevant. You want to be where your customers are, for sure. but make a product that people love and they will find you wherever that product is. Talk a little bit about the transition for you to go from private company CEO to public company CEO and maybe tell us the most unexpected thing. What was the thing that's been most unexpected for you that maybe you you weren't prepared for in that transition? Most days being a private company is very similar to being a public company, especially the way we thought about being a private company is we really... Uh, we're very focused on acting as if we were a public company, right? Putting processes in place, uh, ensuring that, you know, we were transparent around everything that we were doing. We had shareholders, we had investors. And so that's true when you're private. And it's been true as we've been public. You know, I think the biggest change is, is kind of obvious. You have this stock price <laughs> that, that is associated with your company. And uh, there's been a lot of volatility in the market over the past 12 months. Um, And so that's been a bit of a challenge. But at the same time, I think it's been an opportunity. 
you know, I just actually bought $5 million of our stock because I think that there is actually a, a big uh, opportunity to, uh, as, as we move forward and, and take advantage of the volatility, take advantage of the dislocation in the market right now. But more generally, I do think, you know, being a public company, everyone sees the great things that you do, everyone sees the flaws. And so at times, like I said, that is challenging, but it really forces you. It really forces you to understand what's working and what's not working and to ensure that you're always getting better on the things that are not working. What are you excited about for the next two years? Where are you focused on taking the company? Not that you uh, haven't already had like a wild success, but what are the things that are getting you excited? We're in this for the long run, right? We're building at a company, an iconic brand for the next hundred years. And we're really excited around uh, what we're working on in terms of product innovation. There's a lot that I'm not, as a public company CEO, I can't talk about yet, but um, just solving more problems, right? Solving more problems for this community. I'm really excited about the work we're doing from an advocacy perspective. Uh, we, we took our healthcare professionals, actually nine of them to the Hill to lobby for changes for this community. It's called, we put forth the Awesome Humans Bill to help with pay equity and training and support and to get our nurse to patient ratios in order across the country. It's a support from a mental health perspective. I talked a little bit about that, but this is an area that has been kind of taboo in the industry. You know, if you check that you see a therapist, it's almost, you know, you may or may not be hired. I mean, some of this stuff is just so archaic. Uh, and if we can help change the way the system works from our seat, uh, we're going to do that. Um, and so I'm really, really excited about uh, the advocacy work. We now have a government relations advocacy group within FIGS, uh, and that's become a bigger piece of, of my focus in particular, but as a company for sure. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Trina, I want to go back to the beginning. I know you grew up in Miami. I always like to ask, was there something that your family did or some, something that happened when you were younger that you really attribute to kind of your grit and resilience and your success? I think, you know, I had a really supportive, loving family and they sacrificed a lot for me. My mom, I remember I, I wanted to go to summer camp and, and we couldn't afford it. And my mom actually went to the camp with me and became the camp tutor so that I could go. And there was just a lot of that, right? A lot of, okay, what do we do to ensure that our kids are well-educated? Um, I have an older brother and we're really close as well. And I think you know, just having a really great childhood where, you know, we're really close and it helped. I think the other thing is I'm super competitive. So I played tennis my whole life <laughs> and tennis is an individual sport unless you're playing doubles, but I played more singles than doubles. And I think I wasn't always the most talented, but I always saw results from working hard. And I think that really instilled a lot of grit and, and hustle of saying, okay, if I work hard and I keep getting back out there and practicing my strokes, 
And then the last thing, you know, I get asked a lot about my first job. And so my first job was actually at Johnny Rockets. I was a server and I always wanted to work the counter because there was higher turnover. People kind of came in a lot faster and I realized I could optimize my tips within my shift. And so, you know, realizing just what you put in is what you get out. If you, you know, show up and are consistently, you know, there and doing the job and doing it well, results will come. You and Heather have been co-CEOs, which is such an unusual role and often it just does not work. Why? How? Tell us, I mean, basically tell us the keys to a successful marriage here now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It is kind of like that, right? Um, I think early on and we kind of had this way of working with each other, which was basically your success is my success and my success is your success. And so it is a very special relationship just because it's how can I support you today? What problem are we trying to solve and how can I help? And we just do that for each other every day. And, and you kind of get out of your own ego. You get out of your own way. We call it Ubuntu. It means I am because you are or I am because we are. And now it's actually one of our corporate values. And she actually taught me this early on. We had a number of other production issues with our factories, as you can imagine. It's hard producing, uh, especially at the volume that we're producing now to get it right. And I remember we were over in Asia and Heather said to one of our partners that we are, were working with, how can I help you? No blame game, no, hey, why is this messed up or why is this not what we need? How can I help you? Do you need more people? Do you need more machines? Do you need uh, more space? How can I support you? How can I help you? Do you need more money? And that mindset, it just shifts the brain because their success is our success. If our partners are not successful, we will not be successful. And that's literally the way Heather and I, and now we hope that we instill this with our whole team. Pick up the phone. Don't say, oh, well, I couldn't get this person to do this thing. And I, so then I wasn't able to do my job. It's pick up the phone. What is the challenge that you're facing? And how can I support you? And how can I help you? And how can we work together to get to a better place? I was on the phone with Heather the other day. And she's like, you have this, you're so much better at this than me. Can you help me with this? And I said, you know, and that's just like, how do you find people's skill sets and use your skill sets to help others? I heard that when you started Figs, you liquidated your 401k and as a certified financial planner and best-selling author in personal finance, I'm like, no, Drina, but you did it. Um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about where did that risk-taking element come from? Well, it's so funny because I was about to say that it wasn't the smartest move. <laughs> it's, it's not tax efficient. But don't do that, everybody. <laughs> everybody, don't do that. But I'm more focused on the risk-taking element inside you. Where did that come from? Yeah, it, it really didn't feel like a risk, Alexa, like at all. It's just kind of what we needed to do, right? We needed to pay for our hang tags. We needed to get our product to our warehouse. We needed to set up racks so that we could ship out scrubs to our healthcare professionals, right? It was just what I needed to do. And so I think, you know, sometimes looking back, it was like, oh, that's, you jumped off a cliff, you left Blackstone, you've liquidated 401k. That's, but at the time it just felt like this was just so exciting. Um, and we had something here that we felt like could change the face of healthcare and make the lives of healthcare professionals better. And it just felt like that was such an important thing and that's where I wanted to spend my time. And in order to get there, this is just one of the things that I had to do amongst many <laughs> uh, harder things. I love that so much. Um, you know, you're a decade now into building Fig. How do you think you've evolved as leader? 
Earlier on, I was just an, a great individual contributor. And I still view myself that way as a leader, right? You're in it. You can take care of something and get it done. Like you're going to do it. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot here is if it was easy, everyone would do it. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And for a very long time for me, if it, you know, if it was hard, I would be the one to do it kind of thing. And I think that the way in which my leadership has shifted is that I have an incredible team around me. All of my executives now are smarter than me in their area. Uh, and being able to lean on experts in their field is such a beautiful thing. And, and it, I really changed how I work with others and how us as a team can solve problems and make a difference. And so, you know, I do think that is a bit of how I've shifted of getting smart people around you and winning together. What keeps you sane, right? Because being a CEO and a founder is stressful, being a publicly traded CEO. Give us your tips, tricks, strategies for staying calm and sane through the roller coaster that is running the company. Having great team around you for sure helps on that front. And then having like a personal board, you know, I have great mentors. Uh, you know, Meg Whitman has been a great mentor to me. Right now, we we recently in the last year have added A.G. Laffley and Jeff Wilkie, amazing people that have been through it. Sometimes in the seat, you think like you're the first one <laughs> to ever face something. You're like, no one has ever experienced this. Um, and then you talk to people that have done, you know, been in the seat for a very long time. And you realize that most things, you know, people have gone through and learning from others' mistakes is a big one uh, to helping to stay sane and just getting more perspective. I talk to other public company CEOs and we're kind of all in this similar boat with the market and just talking to others that are in the similar, having a similar experience is really helpful. And you realize that you're not alone. And I'm so lucky, right? The gratitude, have gra having gratitude for where you are. And I'm the luckiest person alive to be able to do what we do and to be able to serve who we're serving. And all I have to do is get on a phone with a healthcare professional and realize, okay, I know why I'm here and I know our purpose. And um, the little things that stress you out seem totally not important. Trina, I'm going to move to the quick fire round. I'm going to ask a question. First thing that comes to your mind, what gets you out of bed every day? A really strong cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm like, same, same answer, by the way. When you're interviewing, what is a question you love to ask that you think really gets to the core of who somebody is? I love the question around, um, that I was just talking about Johnny Rockets, what was your first job and what did it teach you? I love that. No one's ever said that. I love that one. What is a quote or a motto that you live by that kind of like really is ingrained in you? I believe Rumi said this, but act as if the universe is rigged in your favor. Oh, I love that. I've never heard that one. I'm like, Trina, that's so great. <laughs> what do you hold as sacred? Um, I always like to ask founders, what's sacred to you? The why. I do think as a founder, always coming back to the why. Why are we doing this and who are we doing it for? What is your biggest pinch me moment to date at Fix? The day that you just came home and said, I can't believe that just happened. What was it? I have to give it to ringing the bell on the New York Stock Exchange with 60 of my healthcare professionals around us uh, and you know, really putting them up on that pedestal, uh, it was really more about them than us, but it was such an incredible moment. A favorite book, a book that's changed your life, and it can be any book. It doesn't have to be a business book, any book that's, that you recommend everybody read. I wish I had a more interesting answer for you, but um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. <laughs> I love that book um, and just a lot of lessons there. I love it. Last question. Other than 
your own category, D2C uh, innovation and healthcare. What is a category that you're just thinking about a lot these days that you think could be very exciting to the future? AI. I know that's uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty. Uh, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's going to change every industry. And if you are able to you just use it in the right way, it's really powerful. Okay. Last question of the day. Give us a prediction or two that you, where you think AI is going to change healthcare. I think it's going to make our healthcare professionals use their time in more efficient ways. There's so much manual work that is still being done across the system. And if you can have that you know, lower level work being cut out of a healthcare worker's day and have them focus on the patient, that is going to make the system so much better. That's exactly what I, I thought you would say. And, and I, <laughs> I fully agree. Everybody out there, um, first of all, Trina, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody, if you want to learn more, you got to check out wherefigs.com. And also, it is just like such a beautiful story of what you've shared today. Um, and you can join us next week for the Founders Project with Alex Von Tobel. Trina, I have to tell you, we are all rooting for you. And like, not only are you a fabulous communicator, but it is just so fun to hear your story. And it reminds us just what's so possible from doing good things for good people. So we're rooting for you and just so proud of what you've done. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alexa. 